From war across the globe to regulating speech to printing trillions of dollars, the American regime accepts no limits on its power. As Ludwig von Mises understood, the state will take as much power as the people will let it. And in recent years, the American regime has clearly concluded it can get away with unilaterally adopting vast new powers. Join Michael Rechtenwald, Ted Galen Carpenter, Jonathan Newman, and more for a Mises Institute event in Nashville, Tennessee on September 23rd, dedicated to this siege of power and one of Ron Paul's favorite lines, truth is treason in the empire of lies. Tickets begin at $95. Get yours at Mises.org slash Nashville 23. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org slash Nashville 23. This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy. Well, Robbie, welcome to the Human Action Podcast. Oh, it's an honor to be on with you. It's been a while. Been a while. Been a while, indeed. So, uh, what we're doing, folks, in this one, it's a little bit out of the ordinary, but as I want to do, I was checking in with... One of my favorite podcasts, Part of the Problem, hosted by Dave Smith and Robbie the Fire here, as his stage name goes. And, uh, and they were talking about the, the, you know, the Hunter Biden stuff. And there were some things that came up that I wasn't aware of. You know, and I, not that I like, religiously follow this stuff, but I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, Hunter Biden, he's a clown. And you know, he's got a lot going on in his life. You know, I hope the guy gets some help and whatever. And I don't really care because I'm government's corrupt. What's new? But so it's not even so much about what Hunter Biden did or did not do, but the way that the system was responding to these things that just, to me, was breathtaking. And so the re- we wanted- the, re- the recent mm-hmm. news got you interested in cocaine. I get it. And I'm here to help you out. That's why you talk to comedians who are on the road. Yes, Happy to help. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so that's part, you know, it's part of the broader mission of the libertarian uh, movement. So, um, so that's what we're doing. And again, if you want to like tie this into, I guess you could say, hey, this is you know case study of why the state should not be in charge of uh, you know, law and order, especially when it comes to matters pertaining to itself. Just the idea that we're hoping that the Biden administration does a good job getting to the bottom of whether Joe Biden did something bad a few years ago seems kind of goofy, but that's where we are. So with, with that um, caveat, let me just go ahead and, and sit, introduce. So we're going to play some clips here, folks, from some of the things that uh, Dave and Robbie talked about in the, their episode and just have Robbie comment on it, and we'll get to the bottom of some of this. So this first clip we've, we're going to be playing is from Matt Gates, and he's, I believe he's talking to Durham, is that correct, in response yes. to the Durham report? So before we play, actually play it, can you just w- – w- the deal is what? There was the, the Mueller investigation, and then that was then viewed retrospectively as sort of a witch hunt, and then is that what the Durham investigation was to see? And so – I, I, um, to give a little bit of context here, yeah. Um, so for three years we were listening to, hey, there's Russia collusion. Donald Trump might be a Russian asset, and they were running this Mueller investigation. It comes to the end of the Mueller investigation, and after really not letting Donald Trump even have a presidency because he got very wrapped into this storyline of Russia collusion, it turns out the entire story was just fake. And I don't know if you guys remember just how much of a focus that was of the news cycle up until basically COVID started of, oh my God, Donald Trump is a Russian asset. 
That was literally every mm-hmm. every yep. day you turn on the news and the Mueller investigation. The walls I think, are closing spent, in. They kept saying the yes. walls are closing in. There's yeah, gonna be there's was, gonna be indictments any day. That now. was a big one. And mm-hmm. the Mueller investigation was some of the uh, you know big time players who had high time positions, like at the FBI. You had big prosecutors. They spent thirty two million dollars two years, and then they came forward at the end of the th- end of it and they said um, we don't have enough information to move forward with like an indictment or a prosecution, but yet this doesn't mean that he's off the hook. And then as it continued to go on, we found out that the entire story was just nonsense, and so they charged Durham with looking into, well, what happened here that there was an investigate, that we got to a point... And when you say charge, you mean gave him the task of, you don't mean brought charges against... You just well, said are, they charged yes. Durham. I just want to make sure people who don't know who yes, Durham, Durham is. Yeah. Durham was appointed yes. to mm-hmm. look into the Mueller investigation and to look into, well, what happened here that we thought that there was enough evidence of Russia collusion? And why was this guy running an investigation for two full years uh, that turned out to have nothing? What happened here? It was literally supposed to look into what happened that Mueller just spent two years uh, crowding up the news storylines with, hey, there's Russia collusion, and it turned out that there was nothing. What was this hoax? Mm-hmm. That's really what the question was. Yeah, yeah. This Russia collusion story turned out to be a giant hoax. What happened? Um, and to give a little bit more context before we play this clip where Matt Gates is essentially accusing Durham of uh, running the cover-up scheme for what happened in the Mueller investigation, it's also important to note one of the other investigations that Mueller was a part of, and I don't know if you're, uh, if even you know this, but he ran the investigations for the CIA torture scheme after basically for the entire Bush run and came forward and said, no problems here. Uh, so it would seem like Durham's job within the deep state and the government is essentially to go investigate what happened before and and said, well, we did our jobs, we looked into it, and now we can move on. Mm-hmm. Maybe some mistakes were made, but these are all well-intentioned people. And blah, 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 well, blah, blah. Not, just, not just mistakes were made, but no changes have to be made moving forward <laughs> right. to prevent these changes, uh, these mistakes from happening again. Okay, great. And so, yeah, with that uh, set up, and thank you, Robbie, uh, Clay, can you go ahead and play this clip for us? That you're disappointed that the FBI didn't cooperate more, right? That was your testimony. Said that. Yeah, so we're disappointed too, but the difference is when regular folks do things that are wrong and unlawful, there's typically greater effort to try to get those people before a grand jury to to utilize criminal process where appropriate, not not for other purposes. And it's just like, oh, well, Bill Priestep, the guy who might have set this whole op in motion, he just didn't want to talk to you about certain things, and you were real accommodating to that. And then Mifsud, the person who juices Papadopoulos to create this predicate that you find improper. You guys, you, I mean, did you ever know who his lawyer was, Mifsud's lawyer? He talked to his lawyer in Europe. Not in, I don't know if so he wait, wait, You could find the guy's States. lawyer, but you couldn't find him? We uh, contacted uh, somebody that we knew had, had, rep- had represented him in a, a part of the effort to try to locate him. And you got the lawyer. And then now you're, you're sitting here in front of the judiciary saying you could find the guy's lawyer, but you couldn't effectuate the service of a subpoena because you couldn't find him? Well, you, first you know of all, as you may or may not know, we wouldn't have um, the authority to serve a subpoena overseas. Um, the lawyer didn't know where Mifsud was. He was in communication uh, with him, but he claimed not to know where he was. And we were trying to arrange um, an opportunity to talk to Mifsud. Did you take uh, possession of two BlackBerry phones from Mifsud? In any way, there were phones that were provided to us by. Oh, so you could find the phones with the guy. 
Correct? Do you see how silly this looks? Like you found the lawyer, you found the phones, but the actual dude who yeah. got ordered by Western intelligence to go start this thing you couldn't find? It, it, it's it's kind of laughable. It seems like more than disappointment. It seems like you aren't really trying to expose the true core of the corruption, that you were trying to, you were trying to go at it another way. Yeah. As we said in the um, report and as I said in my opening remarks, we pursued the facts as best we could. Well, how about this fact? That we have. Okay, how about this fact, Mr. Durham? The entire Mueller team does a hard reset on their Apple phone in synchronization to wipe away evidence. Did you investigate that? I read that. Well, why didn't, did you investigate it? Who gave the order on the Mueller team to, to wipe the phones? Yeah, that was not something that we were um, asked to look at, and we well, didn't no, look that's at that. That's not true, Mr. Durham. That is not true, because I'm holding the document that authorizes your activity, and it specifically says the investigation of special counsel Robert Mueller. It's in par- Mr. Chairman, I seek unanimous consent to enter into the record the order that says that you're supposed to inter- investigate these things. And so, like, whether it's the Mueller team, Mifsud, how about Azra Turk? Azra Turk, what's Azra Turk's real name? Do you know that? I'm not going to be disclosing the names of FBI personnel that are oh, otherwise unavailable. But, but an FBI, so the FBI sends somebody to go honeypot George Papadopoulos. Who gave the order to do that? I think that's beyond the scope of what's in the report. It's literally the scope of what your charging order is. Who put it in motion? We get after it was put in motion, the FBI did a bunch of wrong and corrupt things. Totally understand. We're trying to deal with that. But when you are part of the cover-up, Mr. Durham, Mm. then it makes our job harder. Yeah, well, if that's your thought, I mean, there's no way of dissuading you from that. I can tell you that it's offensive and that the people who worked on this investigation have spent their lives trying to protect the people in this country and pursue within the law. You went, what okay, is- that's good. Thanks, Clay. So, yeah, a lot there, Robbie. And, you know, for you, this is uh, deja vu all over again. But for the, again, it, it's, you know, now we're probably over the shock of it. But at the time, you know, this is amazing. So maybe just to hit a couple of those things. So for one thing is, I wasn't aware. So the Mueller team, apparently, everyone on that at some point just wiped their phones. Yeah, that was uh, that's been reported that apparently they yes, they wiped all their phones. So I guess whatever the hell they were doing with all that 30 million dollars, we can't look into. Um, But you mean like wiped them with a rag? uh, (laughs) Apparently, I guess on some phones, if you purposely enter in the wrong password enough times, it will automatically wipe. So I think that was the protocol that they used. Meaning they intentionally did that or they're saying, oh, some people got our phones and tried to hack into them? No, they intentionally wiped them while going, whoops, I guess we all entered our wrong passwords a whole lot of times. We probably should have used something more memorable. I should have used my kid's birthday, but they say don't do that because you don't want people yeah. to be able to guess. And there you go. We were. It was an emergency. And we were all trying to get in to You're make right. sure that you had the right records and no one could remember their passwords. Yeah. We were trying to give it to the Republicans, and we just panicked. Like, oh, no, we can't can't keep them waiting. Okay. All right, so that looks suspicious. So, number one, that's kind of suspicious on the face of it. But then Durham, who's charged with getting to the bottom of what the heck happened here. And by the way, let me – I don't want to forget to say this. Among other things, it's – you know, there's things like you have some of the FBI people – texting each other saying we're going to make sure trump doesn't win you know words of that effect i don't remember the exact wording and then they were at least one agent was clearly withholding information on the request to the fisa court to get the authority to do the, you know and that person actually got 
convicted of something, but did but did no jail time, I believe. And that was like the only thing that came out of this. Um, so, I mean, th- these aren't little picadillos here that we're just, you know, seizing upon. This is serious stuff um, that they did. So, like, even the Inspector General report was like, oh, yes, there were lots of uh, mistakes made here. And then, anyway, moving on. Well, uh, on that note, the Durham report comes back with a uh, pretty scathing indictment of Hillary Clinton, uh, Brennan, uh uh, Obama and the FBI. Uh, he doesn't go as so far as to really investigate the Mueller team and as to why there were so many failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you read through the Durham report, it basically, or and it, th- this is not like using a lot of poetry to sum up what's there, uh, he realizes that they had a meeting where, wink, wink, nod, nod, Brennan goes to Obama and they're like, hey, we think Trump might be working with the Russians. And they basically go, oh, that's a great plan. I mean, that's not what's written here, but they right, basically right. go, oh, that's a great plan. Let's go call up our friends at the FBI. And they call up their friends at the FBI and they go, hey, we think uh, Trump might be working with the Russians. And they go, oh, well, then we'll look into that. But they don't just look into it. They start trying to fabricate the evidence that they have a reason to open up the case. And so what they start doing is using uh, the Carter, I, uh, no, it wasn't the Carter page, but they start using the, the Steele dossier, which was paid for by the Clinton campaign as their signature piece of evidence to then uh, void most of their processes for opening up things such as Pfizer warrants. But what they're referring to com- um, specifically here was that one of the pieces of evidence that the FBI was working on in terms of opening up this whole process to go, hey, look, we think uh, Donald Trump is working with the Russians is that uh, Donald Trump onboarded this aide, George Papadopoulos, weird name, whatever. He's like a professor. He's going to you know, do some work for them when it comes to foreign policy stuff. Uh, he's out in Russia and he gets a call from this professor guy, uh, whatever. They, the guy's also got a weird name. The name that he mentioned like 12 times there. Um, I have it written down if you give me a second. What was the name that he mentioned 12 times? Like Nimnis or something? Yes, yes, yes. Mifsa. Mifsa or whatever that guy's name is. So you got this guy Mifsa and then you got that lady that he mentioned also. So essentially he's out. This professor brings him into this office and goes, hey, I might be able to get you guys some information. Uh, And then later that night, an FBI agent who the New York Post is basically claiming is some hot chick who is uh, being like, hey, you give me this information and I'll sleep with you type deal. Oh, that's Ezra Turk? That's Azra Turk. She's some hot chick working for the FBI, sent to meet him at a bar. And essentially, the the FBI is drumming up its own investigation. And so they're creating the information that they need so that they could pretend that there's a loose affiliation between Donald Trump and the Russians so that they can be parading the storyline in the news for the next two years and investigating Donald Trump. Okay, let, see, let me see if I get this right. So w- what? no one disputes what happened is this... FBI, either literal agent or just someone working for the FBI, codenamed Azra Turk, who apparently is an attractive female, approaches Papadopoulos and says, hey, I have information that's hurtful to the Clinton campaign. So I'll give I, it to you. We got to we got to make some distinctions. OK, that guy Mifsa certainly did that. OK. And so the uh, the accusation somewhat being lobbed by Jim Jordan and uh, um, uh, what's his name here? Uh, Matt Gates is what well, was that an FBI agent also? 
Like, just to take a step back, we know for sure that the deep state was working to create this storyline that Donald Trump's a Russian asset. It was a dirty trick played by Hillary Clinton looking to win a campaign. And then once he got into office, they managed to parade this in front of us for two years. And they really uh, made a lot of noise, which helped them win the next election because everyone was just sick of the reaction to Donald Trump because there was so much noise being made that people just didn't like that climate. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. able to push his policy agendas. So... We know for certain they got together and they violated policies such as the way that they do search warrants and they created this storyline. They made it loud enough they were able to stick Mueller on him. We know that for certain. Now the question is, well, what tools did they use and how much evidence did they fabricate in order to get this this thing started? Who was involved? Like what characters were involved? Were they definitely breaking the law? And this investigation by Durham didn't really look into that. And so one of the things that he apparently overlooked was who was the MIFSA character? Was that someone who was actually hired by the FBI? Like, why did this MIFSA guy just call him up, have the meeting in an office? That was your signature piece of evidence. Now that guy's fallen off the face of the earth and nobody can interview him. And at the same time that you got this MIFSA guy, you've got this hot lady who's meeting him at a bar working for the FBI, seemingly doesn't show up going, hey, I have evidence, but I guess it's trying to get information about that meeting. Like, I don't exactly know what her clear purpose is, but it does highlight the fact that the FBI was for some reason targeting Papadopoulos for information, which would bring more evidence of what I'm saying of the FBI using its agents to create its own news and essentially entrapment. Right, right. And so Gates's point is, Durham, you were just charged with investigating all this stuff, and you can't even locate the guy who is kind of at the start of all this. Yeah, and it goes, uh, there was another video, I actually, I, people can look it up, but there was another segment where uh, Matt Gates is grilling Durham uh, because uh, um, uh, Thomas Massey gives up his time to Matt Gates to ask more questions, and he plays the video where Jim Jordan is giving uh, um I, I get so stuck up with names. Uh, he's giving Mueller a tough time specifically about the MIFSA character. And he goes, why? And, and uh, he Mueller has information about MIFSA and basically just refuses to answer. And Jim Jordan goes, that's fine that you're not going to answer us because we're going to do this Durham investigation. And this is the exact type of stuff that he's going to get to the bottom to. So when Durham is sitting here and going, well, that's not what I was supposed to do. Right. Jim Jordan was the one that orchestrated Durham running an investigation to figure out the Mueller thing, and he had a specific conversation live in Congress where he's threatening Mueller with, listen, we're going to figure out who this character was. So for him to sit here now and go, oh, well, that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. No, no, the exact guy who hired you for the job said this is one of the signature things that we would like to get to the bottom of. And now two years and, you know, I think it was $7 million later with zero court cases won and uh, 200 pages written up about yeah, everything was improper and it looks like Hillary Clinton acted improperly and Brennan, but we don't have to make any changes and no one's being indicted or looked into. Mm-hmm. And, and and if you go back and you watch Mueller, um, Mueller's a very smart guy. I once read this uh, this book by Chris Ray called, uh, not Chris Ray, I forget the name. What's I said? I'm terrible with names, but it was Never Split the Difference. And he was talking about how Mueller was like the best guy at the FBI. Whenever there were like really intense negotiations, that's the guy that they would hire. Um, when they hired Mueller to run the investigation, it was, this is one of our best people. He's going to sort through this all. And then go watch him when he's in front of Congress and he basically looks like Biden. You know, I don't remember. Oh, I'm not sure. 
whatever. I can't answer that. All of a sudden, he's a senile old man. The whole thing was a charade. They mm-hmm. hired Durham to look into what was going on with this charade, and it seems like he ran a cover-up for them, where he gave us a little bit, where he goes, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Hillary Clinton was involved, but he didn't really look into any of the spicy or interesting stuff. Right, and then, of course, at the end there, just to play the card of I, the very idea that you would challenge <laughs> yeah. our integrity. I'm offended, good sir. Right. How dare you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So um, let me, n- let's move on now to the, the juiciest thing that, that's come up, which may be fake, and we'll, we'll talk about this, folks, just to show that we're fair guys here. But um, I'm going to say something. Let me, if, you, if I say something wrong or you want to add more context, Robbie, obviously jump in. But another thing that's been going on is a whistleblower at the IRS has come forward and said, hey, there's this investigation we were doing on Hunter Biden, you know, back taxes and such going back at least to 2019. And we got our hands on the laptop, I believe at some point, and they produced things from amongst which was an alleged WhatsApp text message and to get for the benefit. And just in case I know probably most listeners have heard this thing, but in case you haven't, cause you need to understand what, the allegations are to realize the clips we're going to play in a minute, how hilarious they are in response. And so apparently this is from uh, 2017. And what seems to be not in dispute is that within 10 days of this alleged WhatsApp message being sent, law firms connected to the Bidens received first, I think a hundred thousand dollar payment and then a $5 million payment from these Chinese sources. And I haven't seen anybody dispute that those payments happened. And now what it has been ultimately disputed was this. Um, So amongst the things that were shared with this, I think Senate committee from this IRS whistleblower was this alleged WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden to, um, oh shoot, what is this? Henry, is is it Zhao? Is that how you say his name? Do you know what I mean? It's it's Z-H-A-O. Yeah, you would know Chinese enunciations better okay. than I would. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to say not very well. And so here's what the message says, folks. So again, this is allegedly from Hunter Biden back in 2017 to this Chinese businessman with ties to the Chinese Communist Party saying, I am si-, so remember 2017 at this point, Biden would, would no longer be the president, like unless it happened in early, early January, but I don't think it did. I am sitting here with my father and or would no longer be vice president, excuse me. I'm sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And, Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Jang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Okay, so now what's funny about this is the original um, response that I was seeing from his lawyer was, um, oh, am I going to be able to find it here? Let me see if I can find it. Was saying that, I'm paraphrasing here because unfortunately I can't, I don't have the text right in front of me, but the original response from the lawyer was to say something like, um, you know, we we dispute that that the president was sitting next to the uh, Hunter Biden and any um, 
any verbiage coming from my client that can be proven to have occurred came at a state when he was suffering from a, you know, a drug addiction, right? So it was a very like open-ended, vague sort of thing originally where they were denying, but, but they weren't saying this, this is a fake message. It almost looked like, and I'm curious your reaction, Robbie, that they were, they were realizing this could have actually come from him. We need to figure it out. And so their initial response was to say, we're not saying he sent it, but if you could prove that the, he did send this, well, then keep in mind, he was, you know, had a drug addiction at the time. So, you know, he's kind of not in his right mind. So, the, you know, he shouldn't take it with, the, you know, too much gravity. Is, is that um, lining up with, with your well, take? For one, for one, I even think the, the drug addict excuse is funny because uh, five years ago, that was just called being a scumbag. You know right. what I mean? Like, that wasn't an excuse. That didn't excuse your behavior, the fact like, well, I was drunk. I got into a car accident. Yeah, I shouldn't have been driving. That makes me an asshole. Like, uh, it used to be if you were an absentee father because of your drug problem, people, oh, well, he's a drug addict. That's okay. He's just, he's got the drug problem. The bad decisions that you make because you were on drugs are what make you a scumbag. Like, if anything, that should be the, the lawyers shouldn't want to be, to, to, uh, to be bringing that up. Um, but yeah, in this case, it sounds like the, um, it, it, I'm not even so sure that the lawyer yet is dif, is di, um, disputing that that's a accurate WhatsApp message, or if maybe he's disputing that it was misrepresented and that they took the WhatsApp message and then doctored up the visuals of it to make it look cleaner. Um, so I, I and they, because that just came out today, mm-hmm. but but uh, all right, here's the other thing: the WhatsApp message was not the. Uh, worst piece of evidence brought forward by the IRS whistleblower. Um, the IRS whistleblower, that's one piece of what he brought forward. And it does sound, and by the way, they also validated that um, Hunter Biden was actually in the same house as Joe Biden at that time uh, because he posted a picture on that day. So like they at least know that he was staying there. Uh, but the IRS whistleblower has claimed that he was given instructions by the higher ups that they weren't allowed to look into um, any Joe Biden or big guy connections in any capacity. So, like, in whatever way their investigations might have been steering towards, here's an issue with Joe Biden, they were specifically instructed, don't be looking into that. Um, they then had two incidences where they were looking to serve a warrant. One of them was they had uh, evidence of um, something being kept in a storage unit. And the prosecutors, not only did they not allow them to get the warrant, which uh, the whistleblowers claiming they had everything they would need normally to get the warrant, but the prosecution side told the lawyers for Biden that they were looking into that site so that they were able to retrieve the materials. Um, then they also refused a warrant. They wanted to serve a warrant to basically see if they could prove that Biden was in the room with Hunter at that time because they might have just been in the same house. But I guess they could have served a warrant and actually done like cell phone data to see if they were next to each other to like actually firmly prove, oh, there's bribery here. Um and then there was, oh, yeah, and then the last incident was Merrick Garland's been claiming that they had the authority to bring charges, while the whistleblower is claiming that they were specifically not able to bring charges to further an investigation. Um, so basically what they're claiming is that they could have run a very good investigation and that they had a lot of good moments where they probably could have actually proved that maybe uh, Hunter Biden has committed criminal, uh, you know, uh, has had criminal interactions with foreign countries and maybe that the vice president actually is being bribed, uh, but that that, you know, their investigations were uh, hampered and so they weren't able to actually move forward and gather the evidence. And that's the scarier part. The scarier part is like, and we can kind of have a conversation about like soft corruption, like real corruption, but um, if 
we think that the president might be getting bribed or in debt to a company that's involved with the uh, Chinese Communist Party. You would think that the FBI or other institutions, their main job would be to look into those relationships and make sure that we don't possibly have like a treasonous president or someone who's in debt to people who might really do harmful things to our government. Uh, so the fact that they're actually hampering those investigations, like that alone is like kind of an indictment of the institutions. Well, a, a point, too, that you guys stressed on your episode when you and Dave were talking about it was, among other things, and I apologize if you, if you are just explicitly listed this and I missed it, but that the FBI whist, or sorry, the IRS whistleblower was saying the FBI knew that the laptop was Hunter Biden's oh, yeah. well before. Like, so that's kind of explosive because this was way before all the intelligence agents were coming forward and saying, no, 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 this is Russian disinformation. And, you know, to make sure we got through the election and then only later. You know what? Turns out that actually was Hunter Biden's laptop. Go figure. Well, that, that speaks mm-hmm. that speaks to the real criminality um, is that just to kind of recap here, we had three or two years hearing about this Russia collusion nonsense. And it was nonsense. The Hillary Clinton decided they sat down, they had a meeting. How can we beat this Donald Trump guy? And then they weaponized the FBI to drum up enough information to pretend like there's this Russia influence thing to then spend two years in the news going, the president, we can't trust our democracy while also claiming, hey, we can't have people losing faith in our democracy. But we don't have to we don't have to get derailed by the irony of that. So that's the first thing. Then you have uh, Blinken, who's working on the Biden campaign, calls up and goes, hey, we got a problem with this laptop. The FBI has already validated that that laptop is Hunter Biden's. And instead, they pen a letter going, oh, that looks like that's Russian misinformation. And then they call up the tech companies and take down all information regarding the laptop, including censoring the New York Post, which is a long running paper of record. So I'm saying if you want to like finger point at like absolutely corruption that's corruption is weaponizing the deep state against the people that you're running against right so just to stop you though right so right there Robbie, when you said and the fbi already validated that wasn't we didn't know that this is not what's coming out that we know behind the scenes the fbi had validated to the irs say oh yes that is that is hunter biden's laptop we're not going to hand it over to you guys right now yeah, at the same time that they're putting out a letter saying uh, we believe that's a rush, uh, a ru- all the earmarks of a Russian misinformation campaign right. at the request of the Biden campaign. Right. So, again, folks, if you remember, and this was scandalous at the time when people for just sharing, I'm sorry, was it the New York Post? The New York Post was uh, definitely the primary source on that, and they were probably the most scandalous for Twitter censoring. Right. Okay. I just want to to have the right paper. So the New York Post had written something right before the election. This was coming out. The story, which obviously would be very damning to Joe Biden and people on Twitter, it was being taken down. Like you couldn't even share something from the New York Post. Like it was just considered, no, it's verboten. You're not allowed to share this. And so again, what's amazing is that what we're just learning now with this whistleblower coming forward from the IRS is to say the FBI knew what like at least two years if I got my timeline right earlier that no that really that for sure is Hunter Biden's laptop whereas they were saying no this is just I don't think so you you can't spread these lies right before the election it's going to switch so clearly what they were doing on their own terms based on their own rhetoric is they were lying to influence the election yeah. So, you know, according to their own framework, 
they're you know undermining our democracy. You know, hang on, let me get my swooning couch. <laughs> and on that note of the uh, tech censorship, sometimes uh, I understand we're anarchists. We'd rather just not have a government, let people make their choices, and have the insurance uh, people take care of it. I understand. I've read my Doctor Murphy's, but. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that could fix a lot of the corruption in government is what I call the clear authority rule. Um, and government does a very good job of the mafia thing where they get to call up Twitter and go, hey, you know, we, we don't like that this is up there. Or, hey, have you looked into the fact that that's truthful? Or, hey, you know, that might cause harm to people if you're publishing that information over there. So they always do a kind of a good job of going, well, we never told them they had to take that down. Mm -hmm. We never mm -hmm. told you you had to fire your employees. They always do a good job of being like, you know, they threaten you where you think you're being told something, but you're not actually being told it. And I think we got to flip the like we would solve a lot of this if we flipped the script where it's like if government government's not allowed to um, make threats of intimidation, they have to actually tell you, you have to do the following under the following authority so that you have a clear way to uh, actually see whether or not that's legal. And there probably should be pro um, uh, punishments if they're lying or they lose those court cases about having authority that they didn't have. I agree that would be a good rule, just like the Second Amendment is a good thing yes. to have. And that's why <laughs> there's no violation of gun rights in this country right. to this day. <laughs> okay. Um, so... So let's not lose this. So I want to get the humor in sure. here. Um, the, so the next clip, folks, we're going to play again. Originally, this explosive stuff comes out from the IRS whistleblower. The Senate hears this. They, they release it to the press, at least some excerpts of it, including this WhatsApp message that I just read to you. And we'll circle back and talk about the latest revelation. But at the time, no one is disputing. No one's saying, oh, that's clearly a fake. They're just they're not saying anything. And in fact, so the press is asking the White House spokesperson about it. So can we, Clay, if you're ready, can we play that clip? Kirby wouldn't answer James's question though. Are you going to answer the question? Not a reasonable question to ask whether the President of the United States was involved, as this message seems to suggest, in some sort of a coercive conversation for business dealing by a son. Is that something, if he wasn't, then maybe you should tell us. So here's the thing, I, and I appreciate the question. I believe my colleague uh, at the White House Council uh, has answered this question already, has dealt with this, has uh, uh, made it very clear. I just don't have anything to share outside of what my colleagues have shared. Uh, and so I would refer you to him and the, D and the DOJ. Just not gonna comment from here. I will. What I can tell you is, I know that my colleague has dealt with this. He he uh, addressed this at the White House Council. I just don't have anything else to share. I just I just answered the question. I just answered the question. Okay, you pause it there, Clay. Okay, so again, and I know you know this, Robbie, but I just want, I want to build up the dramatic. So, folks, in case you missed it, that the guy, the reporter says to her, "Now Kirby didn't answer this question, so we're going to ask you." You know, this WhatsApp message is alleged really you know, that's kind of serious, right? That the, the sitting president of the United States is accused of having been on this deal. And her answer, no, we already answered that. All right. And, and I'm not going to say more from here. We already answered your question. So probably you're thinking they, they read some, you know, long, you know, boilerplate thing about this is a pending investigative. That's probably what you're assuming happened earlier in the day, right? So now, Clay, if you can play the next, let's see what she was referring to when she said, my colleague has already answered this question. The House Ways and Means Committee yesterday released documents, their authenticity nowhere challenged. Uh, that included a July 2017 WhatsApp message sent by Hunter Biden to Henry Zhao, a Chinese Communist Party official. 
which stated in its entirety, and I quote, I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father, unquote. So just a couple of questions about this. First, does this not undermine uh, the president's claim during the 2020 campaign and the reaffirmations of that claim by his two press secretaries since then that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with him? No, and I'm not going to comment further on this. We're good. We're good. I'm not. James, James, let me just, let me save you some, let me save, let me save, let me save you some breath. If you're going to ask about this, I am not addressing, I don't, I know you do more than I'd like you to have. I am not going to address this issue from this podium. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Okay, there you go. And he just, in case you're not watching the video, folks, and the guy just says, thanks, guys, have it, and he just walks off. So when the, what's her name, Jean-Pierre, when she said, we already answered this question, that's what she was referring to. When he just said, guys, I'm from this podium, I'm not going to. So, go, go ahead. I mean, you and you and Dave had some fun about, you know, he was saying, like, what if my wife found some other woman's clothing <laughs> and accused me of having an affair? And I didn't even have to deny. I just, the idea that you would challenge my integrity, you know what I mean? Like, right. at least Bill Clinton had the decency to say, I did not have relations <laughs> with that woman. You know what I mean? Right. Like, he at least had the decency to lie and say, no, right. she's here. They're not even, and, and my take is, I'm curious what you, at the time, I think they, just, they were still in the internal huddle and realized we got to be careful because we can't, come out with one statement about why this doesn't matter because then if more stuff comes out that shows we are lying so we got to kind of just remain in limbo here and let's just not say anything right well i i love the concept of them going i'm just not going to answer that from here well that's right. your job that's the whole point of you being here is that this is the avenue by which we ask you the questions about what's going on and you answer them so just even that play as if like there's supposed to be some other platform for these questions to be answered mm -hmm. is kind of hilarious you know what i mean it's like right, right. that's why we're here so that you can answer questions like this oh i'm not going to answer that one from here <laughs> yeah and, um and also yeah. there was like an undertone like especially like, folks if you didn't have to see the video like he's has this smirk on it's almost like um they felt like they were fielding questions from Alex Jones or so like, right. oh, here we go again. You guys think this WhatsApp message is a big deal right. or something like, no, this is a shocking allegation. Well, and you should at least right. say unequivocally, this is, of course, not true. The very, you know, this is no way this is true. This is completely doctored. I can't believe you guys would put this scurrilous lie. No, they're not saying that. And I think, again, because at the time they weren't sure. I think they were saying, yeah, that, that could be legit. We, we better be careful here. I think you're probably right about that. They didn't have their story straight, right? And they're like, that could have happened. So they they realized, hey, we better wait until we figure out a defense. So let me just, in the interest of fairness, folks, real quickly here. So at the time, and I looked at the time, at least I think five days went by, and the only response from Hunter Biden's lawyer, and I had it in front of my face before the show, and I can't find it now, folks. But, but it was something like, you know, this is taken out of context, blah, blah, blah. In any statements that can be proven to have come from my client, we must recall, came in a state of drug addiction, right? So he, he, he was basically, he wasn't saying whether this thing was true or not. He was just saying, if it turns out that you guys end up proving that this is true, then okay, then what we're going to say is he was drug addicted at the time, <laughs> you know? Right. And my response to that was, 
it's kind of funny that you could be a drug addict and just send a crazy message to a Chinese Communist Party official and they send you $5.1 million. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure most crack addicts in the country would like to know. All you have to do, apparently, is send a WhatsApp message and say the president's sitting here, you know, or at least ones who have powerful family members, and apparently that's all it takes. You know, so my point, folks, to drop the, you know, drop the sarcasm is the fact that you know, no one's disputing that $5.1 million was sent within 10 days of that alleged message. Right. So if the point is, oh, no, even if he did send it, it's Hunter was in cuckoo land, that's not apparently what the Chinese thought. Well, uh, I somewhat... I, I, I somewhat disagree with you in that I think uh, Hunter could be very good at influence peddling. And so any single incident of influence peddling, he might be suckering someone. And it's a little bit like getting robbed in a drug deal. What are you going to do? Call the cops? Like if you're call- if you think you're on with someone who's going to help you bribe someone and then it turns out that like you don't actually make good on whatever your dad was supposed to do, what are they going to do about that? You know what I mean? You're still the vice president and president's son. They're probably not going to kill you. So it's like, what do they, what, how do they really get back at you for that? It's very possible that you could just bluff influence that you don't have. Where that doesn't work is like, it's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma type thing. That might work once. Mm-hmm. Like, I might be able to get a payment from you once on the basis of, oh, yeah, we're going to be able to make some connections for you. or We're going to be able to make some calls to make sure that you guys get the favorable contracts or whatever they're being bribed to be able to do. You could probably grift once and go, hey... Me and my dad were working together. Whatever you need done, I'll get it done. You could probably grift that once. I don't think you could grift that multiple times over and over because I bet the word would get out, oh, this guy's grifting. Him and his dad aren't actually working together. And the most current allegations are essentially that he made about um, uh, there's been like $30 million that have been dispersed amongst the family uh, in shady payments. So these are all just allegations. I don't actually know that it's that, right, but that, right. that's the allegations coming from uh, the Senate uh, like committee that's actually uh, investigating this. I forget the guy's name. I think it's uh, it's the guy from Kentucky, the Congress guy, other congressman from Kentucky who's kind of been leading the charge on it. Um, but the, the, the point being, I understand how you could peddle influence that you don't have. And I also understand how you cannot even be working with your dad, but it's like a sales thing that you've got a fancy enough name that more people will take your calls and then somebody worth, it's worth it for someone to be working with you. Even the Burisma case, which by the way, is so clear cut because Joe Biden got up in front of an audience and said, Mm. I threatened to withhold aid unless they fired a prosecutor. He said it in front of a live audience. He was bragging about it. Yeah. Yes. We don't even need a... um, However, just like that even could be a form of soft corruption where you have a corrupt investigator who's going to give a company a hard time. And so the company is now going to hire basically protection from the Bidens. Right. And so like that's not as nefarious as, oh, I owe a billion I'm billion dollars in debt to a Chinese company. So I have to give them trade secrets or uh, I'm literally going to send them information or a favorable contract. You know, like there's there's a difference between influence peddling, which I understand how you could be lying about influence that you don't have. Or it's almost like mm-hmm. celebrity status. I could, for example, hire Tom Cruise's kid because I he, he's telling me that he can help me get deals done in Hollywood. And. He might have Tom Cruise might hate that kid's gut, but he might be able to make phone calls to other studio executives and go, hey, this is a a, I don't know, whatever. uh, Bob Cruise, um, Tom Cruise's son. 
and they might go, oh, wow, this might be an in for Tom or this might be an in to this executive. Right, right. And so they're taking that phone call, which then sets up a sales guy's ability to be able to like I work in sales. A lot of it's just drumming up leads and trying to get people on calls. So if someone can get me on more calls, even if he has no other skill outside of the fact that he can get me on more calls, I might pay that guy. So I, I'm just saying, like, there's kind of like varying degrees of corruption. And there's there's almost like a, um, a tolerable level of just selling influence or pretending like, so who, what do I care? So some, some giant corporation in China paid Hunter Biden a crack addict because he managed to pretend like he had influence that he didn't have. But this goes back to kind of what I was saying with the clear authority rule, that government does a very good job of being mafia and pretending is that if they had reason to suspect that Joe Biden is full fledged taking bribes from Companies that have relationships to the Communist Chinese Party, which is probably every company in China. So let's just say getting massive amounts of money from a large Chinese energy corporation. You would think that there would be a division in the FBI specifically looking into what these people are buying to make sure that our government officials aren't being bribed. That's the real corruption story here is that while the not only are they trying to run those investigations, they're actually thwarting those investigations while they're happening and getting in the way of finding out whether or not the vice president has actually straight up been bribed or running some sort of like you you see what I'm saying? It's like there's a level of corruption that we can't like borders on my opinion being treasonous. And so the fact that the government doesn't even want to make sure that that doesn't exist that's the that's the real issue here. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, very, I'm glad you pushed back a little bit. So you, what you were saying, so my point was clearly these foreign business people slash communist party officials, whatever they are, took it seriously enough to pay five plus million dollars. Right. But you're saying that per se doesn't prove that Joe Biden was sitting right there because you could imagine if you're a foreign businessman and you're just not sure – and, and the guy's bluffing, and right. you, you don't want to take the chance. Like, if he's not bluffing, you know, maybe $5 million to them isn't a, a big deal. That's a business expense. you know how expense. much confidence cocaine gives you, Dr. Murphy? <laughs> you don't think you can call up and make a bluff and go, yeah, I'm sitting in a room with my dad right now. You better pay me that money. He's probably, he could have just been sitting there with his pants off just laughing because, you know, his dad has no idea what he's doing. And he's like, I might get a paycheck right now for $5 million. Now, I'm not saying that that did happen. Right. And I also think that the length of time that these uh, – um, that these – went on for would indicate I don't think you could con people more than once unless you're actually returning some sort of favor. But just these kind of one-off deals, I understand how you could be peddling influence that you don't have. Right, right. And also, just as a postscript on that, so later, like I think at least a full week had gone by, Hunter Biden's lawyer came, wrote a letter to this Senate committee or whatever where this evidence was brought forth and was alleging... um so let's see that. Uh, da, 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 da. So Lowell, who I guess is one of the Biden's attorneys, wrote saying um, these screenshots of, of these alleged WhatsApp messages, quote, both include a photo of Mr. Biden, not from 2017, but from the White House Easter egg roll in April 2022, long after the purported message was sent. Both images portray the message in a blue bubble when WhatsApp messages are in green. And one image superimposed the Chinese flag for the contact ID, da, 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 da. And then another one showed a, you know, a dot, 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 like as if someone was typing another message when the screenshot was taken. And he's saying that's what happens like in Apple's iMessage, but in WhatsApp, that's not what it would look like. So, so, it, he's, he, so right. after a, like a week had passed, they came forward to say, no, we actually think this is not 
true. Like, look at these telltale signs to show this is a fake it screenshot. So it, this is uh, this is just annoying on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whistleblower certainly referenced a WhatsApp message amidst his claims. And the WhatsApp message, specifically, they were trying to get a warrant to basically see whether or not Joe Biden had been in the room. And because you would think this is actually very alarming if Joe Biden's directly involved in these kind of deals. And right. I guess with uh, I'm, I'm, I'm insinuating that with cell phone data, maybe they could actually place the two of them as being in the same room when this is going on. Now, maybe you could still claim, well, hey, I was taking a nap and, you know, we, we were doing some coke together. I'm old. I fell asleep. He was just <laughs> he was still sitting there yeah. going at getting after it. Um, so. The or Hunter, Hunter took my phone right. and went so the, in the other room. Yeah. The whistleblower, from what I remember of watching the Fox News interview, was asked about the WhatsApp. And actually, it was a little bit of like, a, in, like for me getting a read on it, it was a little bit of like a Weasley and not that, uh, not that confident of a yes. But anyways, the lawyer's refutation of this, and this is annoying of the side that presented the information, it could be that there is a real WhatsApp message. That WhatsApp message wasn't given over to the media, and so people in the media sat down and said, okay, well, I know that this is what was said, and they didn't do their homework well enough in terms of what, like, in other words, they were reproducing it to showcase what that WhatsApp message would have looked like. Now, as to why, if you're already taking the time to doctor up an image for dramatic effect, you don't actually look at what the WhatsApp platform looks like, I can't tell you. But mm-hmm. I'm, I, what I'm saying is that, that that message or a version of that message might have actually existed. And at the same time, we might be looking at a doctored uh, and a badly doctored version of that. But it just happened today, so we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, so folks, like I did some research on this, and I tried to figure it out. So... Yeah, for example, AEI, you know, had a column saying, what's going on with the Bidens? And had a screenshot of this alleged thing. And it's true. The the way it's presented, it looks like, oh, no, this is really, you know, directly from his phone or whatever. This is the way it right. looked on his phone at the time. And, yeah, there is a headshot of Hunter Biden, presumably, like, that's tied to his thing. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, I Googled the, the 2021 Easter, or sorry, 2022 Easter egg thing. And it does look like that's what that photo is from. Now, like, and I don't know, and it's true. I, I looked at, I, I don't use WhatsApp, but I use the, you know, Google image search for WhatsApp, and it does look like it's typically green, greenish messages. And so the blue one doesn't seem. Maybe if you're Illuminati, they let you have right, blue. Right. It's one of the perks. On the other hand, I apparently, if you do like a save to PDF, then they do more look bluish. But, okay. But the thing is, like you're saying, Robbie, then it's kind of like, you know, triple back and forth and say, well, wait a minute. If they're taking the time to make a fake message, they wouldn't try to make, but but again, you know, there's been other stuff like with the uh, I know the WMDs and Colin Powell's testimony. Some of that stuff was laughably fake. You know what I mean? Like you could just right. go in and look at it and see that no, this is clearly fake, and they went ahead with it anyway, talking to well, the UN. So the other side is, I mean, I don't understand why the news cycle is as short as it is, but maybe these people look at it as like a war of inches, where hey, we we got this in the headlines for two right. days, and they don't really care if it just turns out to be. I don't know why winning two days of the news cycle is considered a victory to people, but I don't know. Maybe their maybe their time preference is that that skewy. Well, but I I mean I definitely can say. Why, in other words, don't misunderstand me, folks. I totally get why they would doctor it. It was kind of like Alan Dershowitz. I don't know if you ever heard this, Robbie, but his take on the O.J. Simpson thing right. was he said O.J. Simpson was guilty. He killed his you know, ex-wife and the, I guess, boyfriend. But he thinks the police 
uh, planted evidence on a guilty man. And he said the police do that all the time because it just makes it easy. Like, they want to make sure they get a conviction. Right, 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 right. And so it's not an either or. And so here I could imagine the Republicans thinking, oh, this is big deal, but we have to get the media in on it. And so how do you do Like, why are you and I talking about this right, right. now, Robbie? Partly because of that alleged WhatsApp message. So I could see why they would go ahead and make a fake WhatsApp just to really juice it. Not that the whole thing is a, is a, is a fraud, but just like to get people interested in that. But and why they would feel justified in that deception, thinking, no, no, these Bidens really are guilty and we got to get people to see the truth. And this is the only way to wake them up. But th- again, my point was just, well, if you're going to go to the trouble of doing that, why not be a little bit more careful about it? But who knows? Right. OK, maybe one last clip here, Clay, if you got. So among other things, now the allegations that, wow, the FBI knew that this laptop was legit and a lot of the, these intelligence agencies knew way ahead of time. And yet they came out before the election covering for the Bidens. This kind of raises serious concerns. And so here's what um, I guess this is a clip from Garland has to say about all this. Sorry, one more question. Carrie. Mr. Attorney General, um, Republicans in Congress have flirted with the idea of holding the FBI director in contempt. Um, It's become a talking point on uh, the campaign trail, um, the alleged corruption in in the FBI and other federal law enforcement agencies. Um, do the American people have cause to be concerned about the integrity of the components of this Justice Department? And and what do you have to say about how they're acting? I certainly uh, understand that some have chosen to attack the integrity of the Justice Department and its components and its employees by claiming that we do not treat like cases alike. Uh, This constitutes an attack on an institution that is essential to American democracy and essential to the safety of the American people. Nothing could be further from the truth. You've all heard me say many times that we make our cases based on the facts and the law. These are not just words. These are what we live by. They are the foundation of the way we make these decisions. The Agents of the FBI, as well as the DEA, the ATF, our uh, deputy U.S. marshals, every day, often at great personal risk, protect the American people and secure its safety. Our cases are based on their work. I could not be more proud to work with them. Well, there you have it, Robbie. Um, I don't know. I I kind of feel bad that we just spent an hour questioning the integrity (laughs) of these folks when really there's not not too much reason for us to do. So anyway, I just like to play that because you again, you and Dave had a kind of a fun time with that. That just you know, just the brazenness of it. Like they're not even bothering to deny any of the specific thing. And again, I think it's because they realize we don't know yet what our game plan is going to be. We got to figure out how much do they have, how much do we have to explain before we come up with a strategy. I love that. I should just every morning when I read the news, I should play that for myself and just remember how dare I? Why am (laughs) I even questioning this? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if if I could just have you now as we move on to to better and brighter things here, Robbie, can you just explain real quickly for the folks that, you know, I think they just got showcased to you how much the stuff, you know, but your day job or night job is you're a stand-up comedian. So how is it that, you know, you ended up being such an expert in this stuff? And I, you know, you also know a lot about monetary theory. So just, right. can you give us a crash course on how the heck did you get into all this? Well, my, my expertise in terms of like daily news topics is that that's kind of become my day job amidst uh, podcasting with Dave Smith on part of the problem and also doing uh, my show, Run Your Mouth. Uh, so 
I definitely uh, consume a lot of news and media on a daily basis, and I would say I kind of have an expertise specifically in uh, current events, uh, which is coming from that. Uh, in terms of uh, how I ended up kind of looking at things from more of a liberty and a freedom perspective is uh, certainly uh, when I was in college, I mean, I, I majored in finance, and uh, I was actually surprised, like, looking back on uh, some of my experience in college, but we, we had the uh, Michigan textbook. I don't know if you're familiar with him. On, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was just the, the, like the standard economics book. Yeah, he's book. a pretty standard book, yeah. A pretty standard book, but like even looking back on it, because it's, you know, it's, it, it's not uh, an Austrian book, but he does... Uh, um, I was coming out of college during uh, kind of the last uh, financial crisis, and I definitely wanted to work in finance, and it was definitely a recession and not a very good environment for kids. And I, I didn't land on my feet for a while. I was one of those kids who had to move back home. Like, I'm reasonably intelligent, but the jobs I were looking for did not exist in that economy. Um, and I read in, I mean, this is just part of it. It's not like the only thing that brought me to it, but I remember reading through that book just about credit asset bubbles and living through not being able to get a job because of, you know, what government did to the housing market, uh, and creating a recessionary environment and literally being mad. Like it had an influence on my life. Like I was now in a recession because of decisions that government made in terms of, you know, artificially inflating the housing market. And like, I almost look back on that textbook, like surprised that, uh, they were so clear cut and kind of explaining uh, earlier decisions and the way that it kind of created that credit asset bubble. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, that that was definitely part of the influence was actually very much being affected by a government policy, uh, being interested in finance and like living through that. OK. And so then what, what I assume it wasn't that Michigan per se cited, you know, Rothbard or no, Mises. Definitely so, not. How did so, you-, <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, and I can never refine it, but there were, there were I would say there were really two things that um, well, like three things that really changed my education or my outlook in the biggest way. Um, but one was, and this is so funny to me looking back, I was writing some paper in college. I don't remember what the, what the paper was, but I came across an article and I must've been off of, uh, the Mises website by George Reisman. And he used this, uh, and I can, I, I've done Google searches for it. I've read more of his writings. He, I, like I, I read through all of his blog at, uh, or a lot of his blog posts, which really changed my opinion on like big topics such as uh, socialized healthcare, uh, gun laws. Like there were like he, he's got some like great essays that I don't know when I came across them, but literally like one for one, some big pillar of opinion that I had in my brain, I read his, his thing. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm for the second amendment now. Let's get more guns. Or like, I literally read his article on healthcare and I was like, Oh yeah, that makes no sense. Let's bring that back to the free markets. But Mm -hmm. uh, I found him. I don't remember what paper I was writing and he had some, um, uh, article where he was talking, I thought the word he used was dollar diplomacy. And he was really talking about American imperialism and kind of forcing everyone to have dollar reserves. And it was one of like the few times I read something and I was just like, that makes perfect sense to me. Like versus everything I've heard about kind of the way the Amer- America runs, looking at in that outlook. And I don't remember the specifics, but like, I just remember, and here was the funny part was at that time, I didn't think I could use the, the information because I never heard of like, any of like the school of thought that it was coming from like i thought that was like like quoting wikipedia or something like yeah. my perfect <laughs> i'd get in trouble for my professor because i was like what is this conspiratorial mises way like i remember coming across it at the time and so that was a big one was finding him and reading some of his uh his articles and then the next biggest one was i used to read uh sunday review from the new york times like every sunday 
And like, that was like the, at the time, that was like the only thing I read. Like I literally, uh, like TV, whatever, like I never read anything. But on Sundays, I would read Sunday Review because, I, I don't know, in, a little trying to have a little bit more, uh, like they were just short essays about like just social topics. And that was kind of easily digestible. And when uh, David Stockman put out The Great Deformation, there was a write-up mm-hmm. in there. And once again, I don't remember this particular article, but I remember reading it and just being like, I think the world works that way. When he was just describing like the way that we've spent money over the last couple of years, the way it's coming, I was like, that makes sense to me. And then I went to read his book. And I don't know, maybe I've even told you this story, but I thought it was so funny because this is back when I was working LOL with Dave Smith. And he was always just, you know, like we'd be in the green room and it was always a podcast coming from him. Like he was just nonstop talking about everything that's going on in the world, the foreign wars. Like he, he was juiced up. He was reading all of it. I don't think he was podcasting as often. So he was just always going off. And I started reading uh, David Stockman's The Great Deformation. And I was like, oh, look at look at Davy Smith's smarty pants over here. I bet he's never even seen this book. And I was like, Dave, look at this book I'm reading. Because I was all proud of myself and this big mm-hmm. bo- chunk of a book I was reading. And Dave's like, oh, yeah, that's a great book. And I was like, you haven't read this. I'm like, you're lying. You have not read this book. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's a great book. And then uh, that was kind of the next step in my libertarian education was uh, firstly reading that and then becoming friends with uh, Dave, who uh, handed me some uh, some Rothbard after that. Okay, well, that's great. So we're I think I speak on behalf <laughs> of the audience when I'm glad that you guys hooked up in that capacity and just do such a great job of, you know, and I don't say this to patronize you in any way, but like you guys really do a great job of like taking this stuff and breaking it down and making it fun and accessible to the masses. So uh, well, it, I, I applaud you for that. He's got a way better handle on the uh, actual, uh, you know, the actual economics of it. But, you know, I bring my own angle. He, he's gotten through more of the actual, uh, you know, real literature than I have. But I'm, I'm trying to catch up. I got choice around here somewhere. I'm working my way through <laughs> well, There you go. You got the classics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thanks so much for your time today, Robbie. Thank you. And if I can, I want to plug, uh, I'm on tour. I'm doing a lot yeah, of dates right yeah, now. Uh, first, you? you can always check out Run Your Mouth. It's on the days that I don't do part of the problem. But uh, RobbieTheFire.com, doing 30 porch tour dates. You literally show up to the backyard, bring your own cooler of beer. You bring your lawn chair. And uh, I do stand-up, sometimes live podcasts. I bring other comics with me. It's a party. And I actually got a gig. I don't know where uh, where you live, but we're doing a gig out in, uh, uh, where is it? Alabama, somewhere. Where's the, what's the capital of Alabama? Or one of the bigger cities. Is that is where you're Birmingham? from? Birmingham? Yeah. I, I mean, that, in... the, the Mises Institute is in Alabama. No, I'm, I'm up in Massachusetts. Oh, really? You're local to me. I didn't even realize that. We should hang out. Yeah, let's hang out. Let's get some lunch. <laughs> I can ask you my questions about praxeology and stuff. We'll have a good time. <laughs> okay, so where do people go to, to see the porch tours uh, to sign up? RobbieTheFire.com. Uh, 30 dates all over the country this summer. So uh, come hang out. It's a good time. Okay, well, great. So, folks, check out Robbie. He's, he was he was clean on this episode, but <laughs> he's true. funny. Like you know, if, if you're uh... even forewarned, because I'm, yeah. I'm like, I, I, if you see me here, I really I'm like far down the filth category. So just you're, be warned. Just be forewarned, okay? But yeah. he's a very funny, funny guy. <laughs> and th- thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we'll be back probably with a more typical episode next time. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org.